I am Lisa, one half of the dynamic duo known as Julie and Lisa on Two Sober Chicks. This is our speaker series edition podcast, and please welcome alcoholic Matt. Good morning, everybody. My name is Matt, and I am an alcoholic. A member of Alcoholics Anonymous in good standing because I haven't had a drink today. And, you know, this is just a day at a time program. It's pretty straightforward for me. Um, I try to do this every day and I try to do it to the best of my ability. I, uh, I really, uh, really enjoy the program and uh, it's, it's the, the saving grace of my life. I probably should start in the beginning. Um, I was born outside of Boston. Uh, I was the oldest of five. I, um, I thought that uh, we were poor and that, that things weren't all that good. I later found out that we were about average. When I was in the third grade, my father moved us to Cincinnati. That's how I ended up there. It uh, it was a kind of a shock, but you know it it was it was something that that happened. My father uh, he he wasn't an alcoholic. I never saw him drunk. Uh, he drank socially, but not very often. My mother uh, she uh, she would get drunk, but it only took one beer. She was the one beer wonder, and uh, but. You know, she didn't do crazy stuff when she drank. My siblings, uh, the three oldest, all turned out to be alcoholic, and the other two seemed to be all right. And I don't know how that happened. But uh, I, I can't blame it on my parents. My grandparents were pretty straightforward, and what I know of my great-grandparents were all about the same. But uh, the three of us uh, started off ripping and roaring. I, uh, I was about 13 when I got drunk the first time. And it was, uh, it was an experience. Some of the older kids in the neighborhood had collected up a, a collection of uh, different uh, alcohols and uh, announced one day that they were going to have a camp out and uh, the younger of us could come along. But we had to go get the campsite ready. So we had to find a campsite that was a way where nobody could find us. And we got that together and uh, went to pick up the, the alcohol. And uh, we had to bushwhack through through a, through a field of briars. And it was it was just pretty much a mess and we got there and there were two boxes of alcohol we hauled them back to the campsite and in it was several partial bottles of wine several small partial bottles of liquor and a bunch of beer we sat around the campsite and uh shared each bottle so we would split up a partial bottle of wine and then we would split up a partial bottle of maybe vodka and then we'd each drink a beer and of course it wasn't uh, too long till uh, 
one of us was was over in the creek throwing up and uh and before i knew it uh, there was just me and the older kid left and we drank for a while and he passed out and i looked in the box and there was a little bit of liquor left so figured i might as well drink this so i went ahead and drank the rest of it <clears throat> and uh got a pretty good buzz I tried laying down and going to sleep, but I really wasn't sleepy, so I made my way back out of the woods. I crawled into the bedroom window, which was unusually usual. I was usually trying to sneak out and went to sleep in bed and then got up, had breakfast with my family and went back to the campsite. And, uh, of course, it was a miserable sight. They were all hung over and covered with puke and all the stuff that goes with the, the experience. And, uh, and what I got out of that was right there that I loved the stuff. You know, it made me taller, made me better looking, it made me smarter, it made me faster. Um, and a couple other things came out of that. One was I never got hangovers. You know, I was I was built for alcoholism. And the second thing was that I never seemed to um, be able to get enough. You know, I always went to the party, drank till everything was gone and moved on to the next one. And uh, the third one was that I could hold more than most people. Um, it was uh, it, it was an experience, and from that point on, everything in my life moved down a slot, and alcohol became the most important thing in my life. That was my total focus. When I would sit in school, I would draw pictures of uh, beer labels on the desk, and you know that that's all I was thinking about. And, you know, of course, at 13, 14, 15, it's a little bit difficult to come across alcohol. But, you know, you can beg, buy, steal, make uh, and make your own. And and that's what we did. You know, we were either pilfering it from parents or the Quickie Mart or we were in a friend's basement making wine or beer. And, you know, that became my life uh, as a teenager was finding a way to get alcohol and then finding a place to go drink it. Um, you know, it, it says in the big book back around page 21, where it talks about the real alcoholic and the heavy drinker. When I was several months sober, I had read that for the third time and I was contemplating whether I was the heavy drinker or the alcoholic. You know, I still wasn't convinced. Um, I had been in the rooms long enough to hear some stories of some real alcoholics, as I thought. And uh, and what I uh, came came to <clears throat> find out was that um, yeah, I wasn't the heavy drinker. I was past that. And, you know, it talked about the line. Had I crossed the line? And, yeah, I'd crossed the line. And, uh, and yeah, I guess I was the alcoholic. You know, that was the first, you know, admission that, that I was the real alcoholic. 
And, you know, I've, I've spent years thinking about where the line is. And the only thing I've been able to figure out is it's way back there. You know, I went, I went over the line at a full, uh, full run and uh, never stopped and never looked back. Um, when, uh, when I was 18, we were able to drink 3-1 beer in, in uh, Cincinnati. And if you don't know what that is, it's a lower alcohol beer. And you could drink that till you were 21. And, uh, you know, and that, that kind of all of a sudden changed the, the whole scene. And shortly after that, I managed to get the, the coveted fake ID and I became 21 instantly. And then, you know, I was in the bars and I was, you know, pretty much crazy. And of course, drinking and driving, that was that was normal road trip. You know, everybody did it. And that was a little bit before the mad ladies took over and, and started ruining uh, drinking and driving. And, you know, in, in, in my day, they, they, they pulled you over, took your keys or uh, told you to go home or whatever it was, but they didn't take you off the jail. And uh, when I was, you know, just getting into my career, uh, the mad ladies took over and they started arresting people for drinking and driving. And, and, you know, I, I had one little fender bender um, due to alcohol and uh, in all the years I drank and drove because I didn't stop. Uh, I managed not to get a DUI, although I did suffer a few consequences. Um, uh, when I moved out of the house, you know, um, fortunately, uh, money problems uh, kept me from from being off the hook. You know, I, I could drink anytime I want. I just couldn't afford to do it. And uh, about the same time, I, I found drugs. I have uh, a little drugs in my story out of respect for Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't speak a lot about that portion of my uh, my career, but uh, they are in there. And the one thing I found about drugs was that they were just like alcohol. First time I did them, it was great. That was it. Uh, I had arrived. And from then on, it was, you know, business as usual. You know, I just, just uh, consumed everything in sight. And of course, you know, that that leads to different problems, you know. Um, I, I started losing jobs. I dropped out of school. I, I started doing crazy things, and uh, and my life got crazy. And uh, um, and and what goes with that is. Um, I was always a functional alcoholic. I always managed to keep a job and I always mostly kept the roof over my head. But, you know, each year, each as things went on, you know, the jobs would get worse. The places I live would get worse. And, 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 you know, how that goes. And, uh, you know, I found myself working jobs that only alcoholics would work. 
And one said, I could come in drunk, I could drink on the job, or, you know, I could keep my head straight because I had gotten to the point where when I got up in the morning, I needed a few beers to get started. And then by lunchtime, I needed a few beers to continue on. And then by the evening, I was ready to, to really do the deal. And, uh, and, and, you know, it, it wasn't that, that, you know, I, I, I couldn't, couldn't do, uh, you know, the social thing. It's just that I didn't. And, you know, my life got pretty small. I eventually ended up living with a girl in a, uh, kind of a rundown house, uh, in outside the college town. And, uh, and I went back to school and, and now I, I figured if I could somehow get a college degree that would straighten out my whole life. You know, it wasn't the alcohol, that was never the problem. It was, you know, everything else. So I, I went back to school, I managed to get a degree. Um, I actually landed a job, part-time job in an office uh, doing uh, IT work at the college. And, you know, I, I convinced myself I was all right. But the reality was that in spite of all that, um, I, I, I had a degree and I couldn't do anything with it. I, I could not, you know, I went on a couple interviews and I could not, you know, put on the suit or the good clothes and do an eight to five. I, you know, that, that wasn't possible. I, I couldn't. You know, I couldn't predict how long my morning buzz was going to last before I was going to need to start the noon buzz. Um, so even though I were, was offered jobs, I, I couldn't take them. I just couldn't do it. You know, I had to have part time jobs, things that, that uh, I could work around my alcohol. Eventually, the girlfriend got tired of my stuff and she was leaving because of my drinking and, you know, and, and, and I, I went into emergency mode, you know, I was like, what am I going to do about this? And what I, uh, what I thought was, and, you know, alcoholic thinking uh, in, in action was that I would, uh, I would uh, go over to the treatment center, I would get dried out, I would, um, you know, do whatever it was that needed to be done. And then she would see how, uh, how miserable and how, how much fun I wasn't uh, when I, uh, when I was sober. And then she would want me to drink again. You know, that was my plan. So I, uh, I set up an appointment to talk to the lady over at the treatment center. Uh, one Friday morning in December, and uh, and I went over and talked to her, and and it was it was touch and go because of the money thing, and I didn't have insurance, and and finally we worked out something, and and then there was the when. So this is the middle of December, and I'm trying to you know, and of course we don't want to screw up Christmas, so we're not going to do it before Christmas. And of course, New Year's is right after that. And, you know, with my job, it'd probably be convenient to 
do it at spring break, which, you know, working at a university. So, so we decided on March 24th. So in March 24th, 1991, I went over and turned myself into the treatment center. And you would think that um, three months of, of drinking and getting ready for this would have gotten me ready. But I swear to God, between the middle of December and when I turned myself in, um, I was, it seemed like two days. And, you know, and, and before I knew it, I was walking over there uh, to, uh, to do the deal. And it was, uh, it, it, it was, uh, it was hard. I went over, I did three nights of detox, four days of inpatient, and then six weeks of outpatient. And the outpatient lady sentenced me to 18 of these AA meetings. And I, uh, I, I knew nothing about AA. I never knew anybody in AA. At least I, I didn't know they were in AA. And they, uh, they uh, uh, kept me uh, kept me at it. You know, I, I went over, I did my three meetings a week. Uh, I told the people at the at the uh, clubhouse that I was going to that I was only stopping by that I only had to do 18 AA meetings. And they just smiled and said, yep, keep coming back. And uh Fortunately, on Saturday morning, there was an old gentleman, uh, uh, fireplace bill. And he kind of, you know, I, I really didn't like the guy, you know, he looked like my grandfather and he was dressed real nice and he was real calm and he was, you know, absolutely a martini drinker in my head. And I, I really didn't want to um, you know, associate with him, but he would always come up, shake my hand, sit down next to me and talk to me. And, you know, I told him I'd only be there six Saturdays and, you know, and, and the worst part is he want to shake my hand and I didn't want that old man touching me. You know, I was, I was, I was pretty, uh, pretty crazy. And, uh, but he never stopped. And at the end of the sixth meeting, he caught me on the way out of the, the place, the clubhouse Oak Street, and said, you know, you need to come back just one more week so you don't miss the miracle. And, you know, I knew the guy was nuts. Uh, so, uh, you know, but somehow he got me to promise to come back that one more week. So, you know, the next week I showed up and, you know, I was all ready to tell him that that was it. We're done. You know, I'm all done with AA. I'm, I'm sober. I'm miserable. And I'm going to have a great life, you know. And, uh, you know, what what really happened was uh, he uh, he got me at the end of the meeting to agree to come another week. And every week he'd be waiting for me. And every week I'd, I'd agree. I just couldn't tell the old guy no I don't know why well I'm an alcoholic that's why but um and I didn't know the social graces to uh to be able to say no so it was always okay one more week and, and we did that dance for about six months before you know I got to this place where I realized that that you know I was probably going to drink 
And I remember one night sitting down at the Proud Rooster meeting and, uh, and, and, and I was done. I was sitting at the end of the table at the end of the meeting. I was, I was, I was going to drink. I, uh, I was doing beer math in my head, you know, how much beer I can carry up to the house. Um, if I stopped at the grocery store and then of course I could probably drink a six pack in the parking lot. I wouldn't have to carry that. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm figuring it out through the meeting. I didn't hear a thing they said and something at the end of the meeting, I got up and, and, uh, I was on my way to go do the deed. And, uh, uh, uh there was a God moment. I just walked to the other, uh, end of the room and the guy sitting there, um, I asked him to be my sponsor and he said, yes. And he said, I want you to clean up in here and then I'll take you home. So that short circuited the trip to the IGA to buy the beer to, to do the deal. And, you know, that, that was a turning point because I realized then that I had no control over alcohol, that it had total control over me and it was about ready to take me down again. And, uh, and, and you know, I've, I've never doubted um, since then the, the power of alcohol. Um, after that, you know, my sponsor is one of those, those gung ho service guys, you know, it's like, you know, um, he hands me a meeting, uh, meeting key and suddenly I'm opening the meeting, closing the meeting, cleaning up after ungrateful slobs of alcoholics. And, you know, and I, I was not happy about it, but I was doing it. And he, uh, he would, uh, tell me which meetings I should go to this week. And, you know, he was, he was really bossy and he still is. And, uh, and, and, you know, he's always been one of those guys that's, that's proactive with my time. You know, one day he walks into the meeting and says, Oh, I signed you up for some coffee slots at the Alcophone. And it's like, you did what? And he says, yeah, I hope they work with your schedule. <laughs> And, you know, it's like, oh, okay. So, you know, the, the next turning point I had in my, uh, my sobriety was I was sitting in a meeting one day and this scraggly guy comes walking over and, and, and says something to me that, that just scared the hell out of me. And he said, uh, would you be my sponsor? And I went, oh, my God, you know, and my, in my head, my alcoholism's going wild and saying, say no, say no, say no, no, say no, say no. And then this little squeak comes out. Yes. And and I'm fortunately, my sponsor's in the meeting, you know, and, and I'm sitting there uh, through the meeting going, I, I got to talk to my sponsor. What am I going to do about this? This is this is the worst thing that's happened since I've been sober. And uh, I get up there after the meeting, talk to my sponsor, and, and, you know, I said, what do I do? You know, I don't know how to sponsor. I, you know, I barely know what I'm doing myself. He says, oh, it's real easy. You've got to, um, you've got to rework the steps. You've got to do them right this time, and you've got to stay one step ahead of it. Well, I'm like, oh, no. Um, and. 
And then, uh, of course, the guy I get, he's a real go-getter. He wants to go through the steps real quick. So I'm trying to work the steps, keep ahead of him. And uh, my sponsor's making it difficult. You know, he's, he's demanding uh, all these things for each step. But uh, the good thing about that is that that guy, the first guy that I sponsored, is still sober today. I mean, amazingly, you know, and uh, I've sponsored, oh, a couple hundred guys over the years, at least. And, uh, and you know, I've had mixed results. I'd like to tell you I'm super sponsored, but nah, not, not, not even close, you know. Um, I think we saved that for Stacy. So, so anyway, uh, uh, when I was five years sober, uh, my sponsor announced that I had finally, he thought I had finally done enough AA. You know, I, I ratcheted it up and I was doing enough and things were good. You know, I was chairing meetings. I was hauling lots of guys. I was sponsoring about a dozen guys by then, you know, and, you know, thought I had arrived at five years, you know, and, and, uh, and, and what he said was now that, uh, now that you're sober and you've got your life back together, what we need to do is to get you back in the life. And uh, we need for you to figure out what it is you like to do outside the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, you know, he, being one of those guys who likes to assign things, the first thing he decided I needed to figure out was whether I like church. So he hauls me to church a couple of times, you know, and, uh, and, and that was all right. And then he had me go to a couple of concerts, uh, um, and not the kind of concerts that I go to. And then, uh, you know, he's he's always asking me, did you try bowling? Well, I didn't like bowling when I was drinking, you know. I liked drinking while people were bowling, but nah, not so much the bowling. And, you know, so, so he's on me all the time about what it is I want to do. So um, a friend of mine uh, had been bugging me to come visit him in San Diego. So I thought maybe I'll try a trip, you know, I, I, I hadn't flown since I was a kid and we'll see if I like that. And uh, off I went to San Diego. And uh, while I was in San Diego, I probably, I was there 10 days. I probably did 25 meetings. I, uh, made the rounds so I knew a bunch of people in San Diego and and I had a great time you know it, it really kind of defeated the purpose I really didn't do much that was outside the program but it was a cool program uh, trip and uh, a short time after that uh, it was a uh, a friend of mine in the program and he's he's an archaeologist him and his wife and they asked me to, if I wanted to work for them um, through the summer over in Albania doing computer work. And, uh, and that was a scary thought, you know, to, to get on a plane and go over for a summer and, and work in another country. And, and I, 
made the mistake of mentioning it to my sponsor. He says, oh, well, you better do that. Uh, that sounds like a good opportunity. And, you know, before I knew it, I was kind of stuck doing it. And, uh, you know, I went to a country where I didn't speak the language other than uh, the director and his wife and one other person, that's the only alcoholics I knew that spoke English. And uh, at least twice a week, we would do a walking and talking meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous wandering through the countrysides of Albania. And amazingly, I was able to stay sober there. Um, you know, it was one of those places where, you know, I could have drank and nobody would have known. And, uh, you know, it was hot, it was dry, it was, you know, it was a lot of things. And I ended up doing that for summer. And it showed me that, that if I could stay sober there, I could stay sober anywhere. Um, you know, I, I try, to, uh, try to work a good program. I, you know, I've been doing this a long time. And uh, I want to tell you that that doesn't get me anything. You know, I can walk into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, sit down with the newcomer. We can walk out of the room after the meeting, get down to the bar. As soon as we each drink, uh, drink a beer, our sobriety goes to zero. Just, you know, my, my 32 years goes away just as fast as their uh, three days or whatever they have. And, and that's, that's the thing about alcoholism. It's... Uh, a long ways it can be a long ways back but it's uh it, it, it can be a short distance forward if i let it um you know today i i still sponsor a lot of guys you know because i believe sponsorship is the the key to staying sober um besides the meetings and i go to four or five meetings a week because that's what i need to do you know, and it's not like I think about drinking very often, and I'm not going to tell you I don't, because every now and then on a hot day, I'll see somebody with a can of beer and the little drops are forming and running down the side. And my thought is that would taste really good. And, you know, right behind that is, and the other 23 tastes really good right behind it. And, you know, that's how I know I'm still an alcoholic. And, uh, and, and, and that's just part of it. And, uh, but I, I, I do keep the program in the forefront because there are places where I find out why I drank in the beginning. And that's all the shortcomings and crazy craziness that, that goes into making me up. And, you know, I can be at work and I can be talking to one of the normal people and I can say something funny that everybody in the rooms would laugh at. And they look at me weird and then they step back. And, you know, uh, and, you know, I, I, I know that I've said something that either offended them or scared them. 
and usually it scared them. And, you know, it, it, it wasn't necessarily meant to be that way, but that, that's how it is. And that's how I know that my alcoholism still there because I haven't been struck normal, that's for sure. I am still that crazy alcoholic that, that uh, walked into the rooms and I can still think the same way and I can still act the same way. So I have to keep coming to meetings and, and get that straightened out because if I miss two, two days in a row, that's when I start acting out. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about running somebody off the road or strangling the lady that's got 14 items in the 13 item line or, you know, um, you know, that kind of thing, you know, I, I'm, I'm uh, and, and fortunately, you know, back in the day, I might have acted on it. I mean, you know, I have uh, made some scenes in Kroger's and, and stuff when, when I was drinking. And, you know, well, and even after I quit drinking, but, you know, I, I haven't done any of those things today. And, you know, most of these things just kind of go through my head and I just let them uh, flow out because uh, I know the consequences of, of my actions today. Um, you know, I, I don't have the alcohol to let me say, uh, hell with it, I'm, I'll, I'll deal with the consequences later. So I try very hard to, to watch what I'm doing and, and, uh, and, and do the inventories that I need to do and make the amends when I need to. Um, the 10th step is, is just so critical, just so critical that you know, I clean it up as I go because uh, I don't need to build up any more craziness. So, uh, let's see. I just got back from a, from a trip in Maine and uh, it's a place where I, I go to regularly. And, uh, every summer actually, and, uh, and I used to drink up there. And that, that was a place where I'd go every summer and I would sit out camping and I would drink all summer. And that's all I did was I drank and sat in the woods. And, and uh, when I got sober, I decided I was gonna keep up the tradition and I was gonna see what sober looked like. And, I went over to one of the meetings and I got to know some of the people and uh, um, and 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 it was it, it was good you know it was it was really my first out of town meeting and uh, and uh, so I I went to another meeting that week and another meeting and. And, and I began to realize that, you know, this is such a small community that there's probably only about, you know, 70 people in the program totally that are there year round. And, uh, and I got to know them and every year I'd go back and there'd be the same people. And, you know, there'd be a few new ones and a few dropped off, but it was, it was pretty regular. And uh, friends of mine uh, up there that would come to visit uh, that didn't know I was in the program were totally amazed at the number of people I knew in town. You know, I, I couldn't go to the grocery store without seeing several people I knew or 
people waving at me at the gas station and stuff, and they were totally baffled. And I began to realize how that it, it builds the community around you. And there was an old guy came into the program. He was, he was in his late seventies when he got sober. And uh, when, when I went that, saw him the first year, he was brand new. And um, after three years, he passed. And I had come into town and they were having the memorial for him. And I thought, well, I'll probably just go to that out of respect, you know? And uh, so I went up there, was at the uh, VFW, I believe. And it was, uh, it was packed. There were better than a hundred people there. And it was probably only about 10 from his family. He wasn't well liked because his alcoholism had uh, separated him from most of his people. And, uh, and when they asked if anybody wanted to speak, you know, there were about 15 of the, the long timers got up and, and spoke about him, you know, and the family was just overwhelmed by the number of people that turned out, you know, they were expecting, uh, you know, eight or 10 people to show up from his family and maybe a couple of friends and that was it. But it was amazing that the, the size of the AA community that turned out for it. And you know, that's the kind of thing that, that I, I see growing up around me in the, in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, that I have community. And uh, uh, everywhere I've traveled, I've found that, uh, that, that this community is important. You know, I can go anywhere. I was in Florida um, in the spring and uh, there's a clubhouse there and I, I try to get up there every day. And, and you know, I've, I've got, you know, numbers in my phone from people at the clubhouse. I've got numbers in my phone from the people in San Diego, from Maine. Uh, everywhere I go, I have, have people's numbers and, um, and, and, and that's the, the kind of thing that, that just total, it totally amazes me about the program. You know, I, um, I, I think I know more people in uh, San Diego than I knew all together when I got sober. So it was a, it was a, a amazing reality for me to understand how the community of of AA works. I appreciate you having me. Oh, oh, oh. And that, we appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for being a part of the Two Sober Chicks podcast and one of our great speakers. Join us again next week for another one on Two Sober Chicks.